It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, and today our guest is Whitney Elkins Hutton. Whitney is a real estate maven who, after purchasing her first rental in 2002 and hitting a home run, then nearly losing it all on her second deal, took control and figured out how to invest in real estate the right way. Today, Whitney is a partner in over $700 million of real estate, including over 5,000 residential units and more than 1,400 self-storage units across seven states. In 2018, Whitney founded Ash Wealth and the Investor Accelerator Program, which helps investors develop a clear, workable plan that gives them the results they dream of, solves their business startup and scaling issues, and drives massive progress towards their real estate and financial goals. Whitney, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Super excited to have you on the show today. Um, you know, we've heard you on another uh, other podcast, Bigger Pockets, all that stuff. You're putting out some great stuff. So honored to have you on the show today. Uh, and, you know, we briefly touched on your background there in the intro, but uh, to kick this thing off, I really want to make sure our listeners know, know more about you, Whitney. So please share with us a little more about your background, uh, how you got into real estate and the events that led you to where you are today. Oh my gosh, it's been such a windy journey <laughs> over the past like 19 years in real estate. But I started off in uh, 2002, uh, really as an accidental landlord. I had bought a property with a significant other and did probably everything a little bit wrong or sideways. Not, you know, <laughs> you know, um, you know I, the, I, the first partnership of mine fell apart. Let's put it this way. About a month after we purchased the property and here I had a house and everything was in my name. I was not prepared for that. And I was like, Oh, it's not, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? So I stepped up full in roommates. I had that, you know, wherewithal, you know, you know, within me. And then I looked around I'm like this property needs a massive rehab. I mean, I think 1960s house, I don't know what they were doing, but there were psychedelic flowers all over the walls in the kitchen, hand-drawn. Somebody had hand-drawn all this. And not beautifully. Wow. <laughs> uh, anyways, so uh, I needed massive rehab, you know, top to bottom, you know, mostly cosmetics. So I went to Home Depot. YouTube didn't exist at this time. And the <laughs> Home Depot 123 book and learned to paint, do flooring, do drywall, which I'll never do again. <laughs> I've <laughs> not touched it since 2002. Um, and just, you know, even electrical, uh, plumbing, which, uh, I jacked that one up. I had to go hire a plumber to redo the work that I had done. Uh, and then, you know, decided to sell that property 11 months later, which was probably my number one mistake, you know, investing mistake. And because I hadn't been paying for the bills the whole entire time, my roommates mm. had been covering the mortgage plus. And um, I had put $8,000 of capital, my own capital into the property and um, sold it for a $52,000 profit. 
So thought, thinking oh. it was hot stuff, you know, went into the next property, um, uh, bought in a mountain town, violated every single immutable law of real estate and uh, ended up with kind of a lemon. You know, fortunately, oh. real estate can be a little forgiving. So I didn't lose money, but I certainly didn't make anything. Um, and then I was took a breath. I'm like, oh, okay. If I'm going to continue down this path, I need to actually learn sure. <laughs> what, what, what investors really do. Um, but the only thing that I've been exposed to in that point in time is what we call the live in flip. Like, how do you live in a property, rehab it, increase the value and pocket a bunch of money? But what my goals were is I wanted cash flow. I wanted passive income coming in. Um, and it took me about another 14 years to actually define what passive income meant. And it was a huge slap on the head when my husband and I, at that point in time, went, Oh, rentals. Oh, we need to go buy that property. We're living it. We need to be the landlord. Um, so we quickly scaled a portfolio of rentals um, in state and out of state. And then, um, you know, utilizing a strategy known as the first strategy. So we were recycling our capital over and over again because we knew how to do rehabs at this point in time. And then we had a child. Uh, wow. And we were, um, and I was working full time. We had a small child at home. I was taking care of three family members. Um, who didn't live in state and just burning the candle at both ends five times in the middle. And I was like, okay, we're going to scale. We need to figure out how to do this very passively. So we transitioned into passive multifamily real estate. Um, and so that was really, you know, where our, you know, that transition has kind of launched us to where we are today. Yeah, I love to hear that. And so it's a fantastic story. You know, you kind of started out, you stumbled into being a landlord, made some mistakes, did some things right, did some things wrong, and then you learned a lot from it, right? And so, you know, I think I think it's very interesting. So you started in single family, is that correct? Single family, maybe small yeah. multi, something like that. Okay, yeah. So single family. So I want to talk about a couple of things. Here. So hitting home runs, they're great, right? Everybody loves to hit a home run, especially in real estate investing, right? And uh, you know, you kind of stumbled your way into into a deal and did and did pretty well, but then uh, you found a deal that maybe wasn't as good. Maybe, like you said, it was a lemon. Can you talk to us uh, for a second about kind of that deal a little bit more and then, you know, kind of what you actually learned from it? I mean, obviously you learned that's not how you wanted to do it, but uh, can you talk to us a little bit through that a little bit more? Yeah, I went, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, the property was a fine property. It was the property I wanted. I wanted to live in the mountain town. I wanted to be in a remote community. I was totally fine walking up 19 steps to you know, my deck, it was a two, one, you know, two bedroom, one bath. I loved that property. Um, but as far as an investment that it was not, um, uh, because I, you know, I, it was hard to get people cause I thought I was going to repeat the exact same model that I had had in this college town. I wanted to have roommates to come live in the property with me. Well, it's a two bedroom, one bath. Hmm. Um, so I could have one other roommate. I wasn't able to cash flow. <laughs> I actually had two at one point in time. I've never told this wow. story. And the other one slept. Uh, the other one slept on the couch, which was nice. really odd. They <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we were, we were like, "Wait, we're both paying the same rent. One gets a bedroom, one gets a couch. This is totally unfair." And I'm like, "You're right. It is. Like, let's reform this a little bit." Um, and then, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, when I, I, I also was traveling a little bit, and you know, my uh, I had my father was ill at the time, so I was traveling back and forth to be with my mom. And I was also traveling because I could work remotely at that point in time. And it was, it was just very difficult to keep the house occupied, you know, where it was. And then when I went to sell it, 
um, I was in a retirement community, like Estes Park is a huge, you know, there's a lot of retirees in the area and the people that I thought that I was going to be selling the house to, you know, they're coming from near sea level and they get five steps up the steps and they like, they can't even make it to the porch to look at the property. (laughs) They're out of breath. And they're like, yeah, it looks cute from the pictures, but sorry. Like, Um, but yeah, so the immutable law of real estate that I violated really was location. I bought where mm. I wanted to be, but, you know, thinking that I was like a hotshot investor, but I really wasn't. I mean, that's huge. Like you, real estate is illiquid and you can't move it at all. Like, right. <laughs> at all. So, um, so uh, that, that was, you know, I guess, you know, to, Fast forward that a little bit, um, you know, when I went to sell the property, uh, there was, you know, I think some people maybe heard the story. Um, it was even like getting the team around me to get the property sold. It took a year to sell the property. Um, I wow. ended up giving up, I think like $9,000 concession on the, oh no, $6,000 concession. My realtor, I mean, literally, I mean, if you could have held me down, I was kicking and screaming to sign this document, like saying that I would only bring $6,000 to close. And that was it. I couldn't bring anything more. And it was the smartest move that this person had ever could have done with me because, um, when we were going through the closing process, the retaining wall behind the house had been flagged as a concern and they wanted the new buyer wanted to have it completely redone. I'm only going to bring $6,000 to close. He's $35,000 into it later, which should not, I mean, there's no reason to have spent that much money, but thinking that this was going to solve all the problems, which it wasn't going to solve the problems, but, um, I only had to bring $6,000 to close. And then when my, um, uh, neighbor parked her, her, uh, renter parked his school bus back on top of the retaining wall, which was what was causing the damage, the bus fell into the roof of the house. Oh, no. Oh no, that's crazy. Wow. Which all you had to do is just move the bus. (laughs) You didn't have to put $35,000 into this retaining wall, just move the bus. The bus shouldn't have been there to begin with. Like that was the solution to the problem. That is crazy. So I learned a lot on that deal as far as like where to buy a property, how to evaluate a property. Like who is your, who's your renter going to be? Who's your M buyer going to be? I, I mean, I missed all of that um, just because I wanted a mountain home. Hey, well, you know, those mountain homes are pretty great for the most part, you know, if you, if you want to live there, but you're absolutely right. You know, you got to focus, keep your investor hat on and play that game. Right. So I do want to talk about that because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast. Uh, they might be newer investors and they might be starting in single family. And, you know, you start in single family, maybe small multi stuff like that. Uh, what are some, you know, you've learned a lot from your experience in that before transitioning to passive investments in, in large scale uh, multifamily. But w- what are some like mindset and like skills that somebody needs to start uh, needs to get started in the in the small and the single family rental or maybe like the small multifamily space yeah definitely i mean i would really start people off with a, a few key questions one is what do you want okay mm-hmm. you know that question you know keeping it front and center will help be a, like a kind of like a north star a guiding lamppost as you build your portfolio if you want to be hands-on and sling the hammer and paint all the buildings and you want to be very creative, then maybe flipping is a good strategy for you. If you just, you're like, I just want to be with my family and I want to travel the world. 
um, then though the different strategies are going to cater to that. Um, the follow-up question is to what do you want is why do you want it? Right. Because we are so empowered by emotions. Okay. You might want $5,000 a month, the passive cash flow coming in a month, but why do you want it? Money is a tool, right? You have to have some sort of emotion attached to that to, because that's, what's going to keep you motivated when you lose a deal. I lost a deal yesterday. Like, you know, if my, um, if my motivation was solely for the cash flow or solely um, to have a, a certain number of unit count, I'm missing the boat because for me, I want that. You know, I want the reason why I want that deal in that that market is I want a lifestyle asset that I can go use because I want to make um, spend time with my family and create experiences, right? So you have to figure out what do you want, why do you want it, what is your deep emotional connection, right? Like. Delete so you can leave a job. Not not that deep. I encourage people to go way deeper. You'll sure. most people will figure out they what they why they want something is because they need a freedom. They need mm-hmm. freedom of their time, freedom of choice, freedom of expression. You know, freedom of purpose. You know, they need. So I encourage you to figure out what that freedom is, and then who do you have to become to get what you want? So I know this, for most people they jump right to the how. Right. They're like, show me how to analyze a market, how to put together a team, how to analyze the deal. But you have to ask these three questions first, because they're going to inform you like what, you know, what you need to be building and how you need to be building it and building it the correct way to begin with, treating it as a business. Um, I run into so many investors that are like, yeah, I've got 14 assets and I'm self-managing them. And I'm like, I'm crushed. I don't have the time. I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> what do you want? Like, why do you want it? And they're like, wait a second. No, 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 no. I need you to tell me how to get out from under these yeah. 14 assets. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to figure out, but what do you want to build? Right. Cause right. that is that, you know, cause what I tell one person or help one person with is going to be different than the other. Um, but yeah, also who do you, the, who do you have to become that, that last question centers around your mindsets, the skills you need to build, and then the networks you need to put together. And it can be getting a mentor, a real estate agent, a property manager, all of the above. Um, and you know, asking those questions on a regular basis, because once you achieve one milestone or get close to it, your goalpost is going to move. Oh yeah. Always, right? It always moves. Yeah. That's it's just how it's how it brought how the progression goes. So I do want to cut touch on a couple of things there, and I love that totally. you brought it up. Um, so so, you know, that, uh, so typically, you know, and you talked about asking questions, asking investors, asking themselves questions. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times, like you're saying, investors kind of newer investors kind of skip over that, you know, there's like, Oh, let's just go flip this house or whatever. But, uh, you know, as you and I know, there's only a couple of areas that you really have, uh, to give in real terms of real estate investing. Right. So that's uh, either time, money, or knowledge or experience. Right. There's, it's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's, it's, you have, you have those, um, if you're very lucky, you have all three for most people, they have two, probably one, right? I mean, usually mm-hmm. that's how it uh, works out. And so, um, you know, I think that it's it's really important for investors to really look at themselves and ask the questions, kind of like you're saying. Uh, and are you seeing when you, you speak to a ton of investors, Whitney, a lot of investors, have you, in your experience, have you found that investors really encounter issues uh, if they're not identifying their strengths or their positions of strength to, to be an investor? Are you seeing that? 
Well, you know, an exercise that I take people through is, you know, kind of like the wheel of real estate, you know, here are all of the different things that you, you can do, you know, in real estate. And, and so we've assumed that an investor has picked a lane, a strategy for mm. investing, turnkey investing, whenever it is, well, here are the different hats that you can wear within that. Okay. And I have people understand what their strengths are. Okay. Strengths are simply that you have acquired a skill. It does not mean that you are passionate about it, okay? And then I ask them, what are their gifts? Okay, what lights you up? Okay, and those, that, the intersection of strengths, you know, or, or what lights you up and your strengths, those are your gifts. And so a lot of times people, and it's hard, you know, somebody might come into it and they say, I, I'm good with numbers. I'm great with numbers. I can analyze. And I'm like, yeah, but do you like doing it? Are you going to like doing it on a like 9 p.m. on a Friday night? Or 5 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon when you're trying to get your child out the door for trick-or-treating? Like if that, if it doesn't like let you up then, like we need to find a way to get you out of that. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe not immediately, but looking forward into your business, like how do you want to build it? You know, so that way you're keeping the things that really truly light you up that are your gifts and getting, letting go of the things that you're either just totally not good at and shouldn't be handling or that in eventually your strengths, things that you're like, yeah, I can do right now. I'm fine keeping them for the moment. But like, you know, here in like six months to a year, I, I need out of this so I can double down on what my gifts are. Absolutely. I, I love that you brought that up because I think that's spot on, you know, especially, you know, something that lights you up, right? You don't want to be doing something that's just a heavy task for you every day because you're not going to be motivated to do it, right? And okay. so I think... Yeah, I think that's a that's a huge point. And I do want to touch on the fact that you brought up, you know, treat this like a business, right? So um I think that's that's super important. You know, if you're if you're running uh, if you have a portfolio of single family homes or small multifamilies, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Uh, you want this to be as passive as possible, at least for us, right? That's what we were looking for, you and I. Um, um, so I think that it's important, but it's never going to be truly passive, right? Not not a hundred percent passive in terms of maybe you know, a passive investment is indication, but in terms of in terms of building a business or in, of holding a portfolio of single family homes or small multis, how, how does that look setting it up to be, to be run like a business? Yeah. So um, a book I really encourage people to read is Cashflow Quadrant. I don't know if you've read it. It's the second book, follow-up book to um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I love this book because it really drives the home, like uh, the, the quadrant, the cash flow quadrant of like how people earn money, Right. You go to a job. Most people want to get out of their job or they want to replace income. So they were like, hey, let's go buy some single family houses. And now I've got passive income coming in. Well, okay, your income is earned differently. However, if you never make that mental mind shift to actually acquire a business mindset, all you're going to do is you're going to find yourself in the self-employment role. You're going to be doing your own taxes. You're going to be doing, you know, scrambling, trying to pinch and save on legal setup. <laughs> You're going to be opening your own entities on inkfile.com. Um, trust me, I've done this. Like I've fallen <laughs> in these traps, right? So I'm not, you know, immune to this. Um, but, you know, when I say treat it like a business, you want to elevate yourself, right? And again, find what you're passionate about and elevate yourself into the business role. Because what a business owner does is that they have not only, they're not just earning more money, it's leveraged money. So they're earning money utilizing other people's time, knowledge, and expertise. That's what gives that that side of the quadrant, right side of the quadrant, such power. And so, you know, um, 
Otherwise, the investor stays trapped in that kind of operational role. Like, oh, I've got to do my bookkeeping. I've got to do my accounting. I've got to do my taxes. And it's just like, no, that you're just, you're just trading, you know, you're just trading your time still for dollars. It just might be more leveraged money. So how do we like get you to think, you know, set it up correctly um, with the mindset that you are not going to keep all these pieces eventually, like in six months or a year, that you're going to find the realtor to find you the deal or the wholesaler to find you the deal. So you're going to have property management handling. They're going to be your C- COO, your day-to-day operator. You're going to have... Um, uh, you know, maybe a virtual assistant helping you, you know, put together your bookkeeping and then hire out the taxes. So you're not sitting there like doing your taxes like every single year. Again, like, you know, putting these team members in place, they may not be direct employees, but they are, they're partners in your business. And I think it's so, you're absolutely right. And I think it's so important that people recognize the fact that, you know, you might be good at a lot of things, but you're probably not good at every single piece of this puzzle, right? And you probably and you shouldn't be doing certain things, like you said. Like you might, you probably shouldn't be doing your taxes if you're not, uh, you know, uh, have educated yourself in taxes or a CPA or something like that, right? It's just something you probably shouldn't be doing yourself. So I think you're absolutely spot on about building a business, setting up that way. That way you can can operate, and so you're not in it. Because as I I find out, I found out in my early investing career, single family homes was burnout's a real thing, and uh, you know there's just yeah, there was just, it was just too much, too much for me to be handling, working a, a full-time W2 job, being away from home all the time, on the road all the time and trying to do all the things burnout's real. So, uh, moving on from that was, uh, was, a, was a good thing, you know, building the business, but then also kind of what we talked about before moving into passive investments, actual passive investments, right? So we know we kind of touched on that before. Um, so say somebody's looking, they've, they've gone through your steps, they've built a business around uh, single family homes or maybe small multis, but then they're looking to scale, but maybe not necessarily with single family homes. They, fit, they found out about syndications, multifamily syndications, how can you? How can an investor with a small portfolio of small rentals scale with passive investments? Very easily. <laughs> so simple. Um, well, first of all, it goes back. You have to kind of re-engineer the mindset because that investor who's been in the single-family homes um, or small one-to-four units, there's two challenges that they have. One, um, they've had an immense amount of control over the asset. Where is the asset? Um, what type of asset are they buying? Where is it? You know, even down to the tenant that gets placed in the asset, they probably have like an immense amount of control. They have control on when the asset is repositioned, either refinanced or sold. Um, now, the other piece that they have is that they have to um, learn how to flip the business from being um, investing in a deal to investing in a person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are two mindset challenges. Now, if an investor can see that there's such an amount, there's a huge lever. Let me back it up. So syndicated real estate, if the group doesn't know this, it's it's essentially group investing. But when you invest in syndicated real estate, you know, a lot of people, I, I know I've hopped on the phone with the investors and they're like, tell me all the, the cash on cash return and the equity multiple and IRR, all the metrics is deal. And I'm like, hold, hold on, let's talk about who we are as a company. Because you, you know, you're investing in us as a company. Okay. Anybody can, you know, take a deal, you know, not everybody can take a deal and make it shine, but anybody can take a deal and tank it. So, <laughs> right. You're right. right? You're right. right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really easy to run a deal on the ground. Anybody can do that. 
but anyway, so that is where that's a mindset shift is that whenever I hop on a phone with an investor, I'm helping them understand that they're now moving from that B quadrant into the I quadrant. And then what makes them, you know, when you read that cash flow quadrant book, the reason the, the nuanced shift between investing in the B quadrant, running your own business and investing in somebody else's is the fact is that you're investing in somebody else's business and you're not investing in their deals. They are the operator. They are, they are providing you like their business on a platter for a return for capital. So it's hugely leveraged. You get to understand, you know, you get to leverage their um, knowledge, their expertise, their time, their ability to secure credit and lending and other investor income to access the deal. Okay. Um, so that's huge, right? So I have to, you know, you have to you know, help the investor understand what they're actually doing. And then, but in order to get that immense amount of leverage, you're going to be giving up control of something because, a lot of some of these, you know, say the deal is a $60 million deal with a $20 million raise. There might be three, two, 300 passive investors that go into that deal. And so not every passive investor can be calling the operator going every single month going, okay, how's it going? Did, you know, so-and-so 10K rent? No. <laughs> <laughs> the operator is handling that on behalf of the operating business. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up about, you know, the sponsor is the one who's going to make or break these deals, right? And and being able to vet and do the due diligence on the sponsor is the most important thing a passive investor can do, right? Because uh, like you said, they could have a, a a good deal and run in the ground, you know, it's, 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 just, it's just one of those things if they're not a good sponsor, right? And so um, I think, I think it's pretty important to, uh, for investors to recognize the fact that there is a mindset shift. I know that for me, when I was doing single family homes, I wanted to control everything because, you know, I was educated as an engineer. It's just, I ask a lot of questions and I'm always trying to control things, but doing that, that mindset shift, that, that turn I had to make, because really um, I wanted to be in larger properties. I wanted to be in these type of investments, but I knew that I wouldn't have any control, but I got to think, I got this money sitting around. I need to put it to work. And it just sitting there is, is bad, right? I needed to change. So that mindset shift was huge. So I do have a question. So if somebody is, say they're lacking time, but they have money, right? And they want to get into passive investing. Is there a way to run the passive, from the passive side, run a portfolio of passive investments kind of as a business, not necessarily exactly yeah. like you would as a, as a single family investor portfolio, but just as a passive investor in syndications, what does that look like? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, what constitutes a business, right? So, I mean, income and expenses, essentially, and providing the service. So in this you know, particular business, you know, if you're going to set up a passive in business, you, you can do it directly in your own name. You can do it jointly with the spouse or significant other. You can do it, you know, through an entity. Um, uh, one of the simplest ways, that, well, let me back it up just a little bit. The type of income that you're, that, that comes in is you don't have to put it in an LLC mm-hmm. in order to reap any business, uh, you know, tax benefits. Out sure. of it. Okay. And I've seen people put, you know, channel their passive income into an LLC and then make the LLC an S corp. And mm-hmm. I'm not a CPA. <laughs> However, I can tell you my CPA would slap anybody on the wrist that did that <laughs> because now you're taking passive income and making it active. So, um, you know, you can either just have it flow directly, you know, to you, like through a trust or in your own name. Um, there, I think more of the question boils down to what type of asset protection do you need? What type of airship 
um, you know, do you need? Because when you go into passive investment, you don't, it's not like stocks, bond and investing where there's a beneficiary documentation on the account, right? So your personal structure is what's going to dictate that. But from a business standpoint, yeah, you can have it offload to an LLC, um, just, you know, keep the LLC passive. Um, because, and you can reap the rewards of it being passive real estate. Now, the mindset of setting it up as a business is still the same, right? Like, what do you want? Why do you want it? And who do you have to become to get it? Like, are you investing passively for cash flow? Are you investing passively for appreciation? Are you investing passively for some sort of blend of both? Are you investing passively to take advantage of the tax benefits of a um, syndicated real estate? Those are the things that um, are going to make it more of a business model. You have to understand what your business model is for investing. And once you have that dialed in, like it's just a matter then of going to find the operators who are investing in the strategy you want and the markets you want, and then, and then looking at deals. You said something earlier is that you got into passive investing because you didn't have control. And I really try to educate. You do give up an element of control, but as a passive investor, you are making critical business decisions before you ever write a check. Who the operator and the strategy are, what market are they investing in, and what deal they you're going to go into, okay? That's an immense amount of due diligence before you ever, like, hand over your money. You're absolutely right. And I know, and for anybody who's, in, who's done a passive investment and it hasn't turned out the way that they wanted to, I get, bet, guarantee you they can attest to that, you know, that because that does happen, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. Because that does happen, right? I mean, just because you put your money in a deal um, doesn't mean it's always going to turn out the way you want it to. And I think that, uh, yeah. you know, being able to do the due diligence and really look at put the work in up front will pay dividends. So you really will be a passive investment so you can sleep soundly at night, right? So you're not out there worrying about what your money's doing, and what it's not doing. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's huge. Deals, get, but, deals do go sideways, right? It's not because yeah. like, even if you you know, vetted everything, you know, as well as you possibly could, it doesn't mean that like you will never lose money, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, if you're putting, you know, stacking those investing cards in your favor before you ever write the check, the chances of you losing money are significantly reduced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on that, Winnie. That's absnitely true. You know, Winnie, uh, you know, being able to hear your story and how far you've come and everything you've gone through, it's been, it's been really great. But uh, before we get out of here, we're going to take some time and shine the spotlight on you. So I know you have some things uh, for us. Tell us more about your company and anything else you have going on. Yeah, I have a couple of things going on right now. Uh, one, I have my investor accelerator program with Ash Wealth. And so, you know, if somebody's starting off in real estate or, you know, have got just a few rentals in their belt and they're hitting some scaling challenges, um, you know, definitely check, go to ashwealth.com, check out um, the resources there. Uh, I had a book, um, you know, ebook on there that you know, anybody can get a hold of. It's right on the front page. Um, and then I do like, uh, if you're part of the list, then you get um, access to the weekly videos that I do there. Uh, and then, you know, passively, I love hopping on the phone with investors and talking about passive investment. And so I'm really focused on, you know, building that accredited list, accredited investor list. So, you know, for right now, you can reach out to me at ashwealthco at gmail.com if you're, you know, interested in kind of uh, learning who I invest passively with. Whitney, love to hear that. We're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes. You know, it's been great again talking to you today. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. 
Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.